0: Welcome to the Transform Podcast. I'm senior housing news reporter Nick Andrews. In this episode, I have a conversation with co founder and CEO of Chapters Living, Danny Stricker. Prior to starting a new senior living operator, Danny spent time at Ascension Senior Living as the chief operating officer. In this episode, we explore his insights on the post COVID landscape in senior living. Okay, so we are here on the Transform Podcast. I am joined by Danny Stricker, as you heard in the intro. And Danny, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the show. It's great to be here and looking forward
1: to the conversation.
0: Yeah. So as we record this, about halfway uh, through the the season of winter and things are starting to kind of warm back up and everybody should be like hopefully trying to get back outside. So it's kind of a, a hopeful time on the calendar for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere. So I just kind of wanted to start off by just checking in on uh, how you're doing and how things are going in your life and uh, anything, anything new and interesting going on outside of work. Appreciate that.
1: Yeah. So interesting thing going on outside of work. We are headed to Ireland next week. Wow. Uh, so our oldest daughter, Sophia, is a competitive Irish dancer <sighs> wow. and uh, we're going over for their nationals. She's been working really hard, and uh, we're excited about that. So, prepping for that trip—that's that's amazing. Yeah. I follow
0: a few of those uh, Irish dance accounts on things like TikTok and Instagram. It's kind of amazing. It's mesmerizing to watch people do that. So, best of luck to her. Safe travels yes. and, and, and all of that. And you might, depending on when people, when people are listening to this, maybe she's a national championship. I guess we'll have
1: to follow up with you down the road and find out. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll be. I'll be dance adding it up. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Ready to go.
0: G- getting down to business here. A little while ago, I believe fall, autumn ish 2022, you find that there is a a new operator on the block. So, just tell me what's going on. This is Chapters Living. And I just want to hear from you. Like, what was the genesis and when did it start? How did it start? How long have you been thinking about it? And just what's going on here?
1: Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, I've been blessed to be in this industry for you know, over a decade now, and it's always been a dream of mine to start something new and finding that right time, you know, has been a a journey. We believe that, you know, starting something new during time of recovery and, and still some distress in the industry is, is a very opportune time to, to start chapters and particularly around what we're focused on. You know, we're, not organizing ourselves to be everything to every every um, senior living solution. We're being very focused around two niche components, and uh, really lucky to have a great relationship with a local St. Louis uh, organization and in, in Green Street Real Estate Ventures and and the two principals in particular. So we definitely spent some time to you know get to know each other and and work through. Structures to form chapters to understand, you know, what can their resources bring, and and what can we start anew. And uh, you know, having a senior living affiliation has been a goal of theirs, and it's been a dream of mine to partner with a group uh, also out of St. Louis that we can really, you know, start an organization focused on memory support and assisted, as well as active adult on the other end of this of the continuum. So. Uh, finding that relationship and that partnership, getting the structure figured out was a great experience. And we officially launched uh, August 15th. So relationships
0: are between people. So we know Green Street exists, but who are the people in particular that you know there if you wanted to give anybody a shout out? And how long have you been yeah. doing business with them or at least um, you know, know them well?
1: Yeah. So tons of talented people. Um, that's part of the Green Street organization. You know, in particular, Kevin Morell and Phil Holst, the two principals, are remarkable and are uh, taking, you know, a chance and uh, investing in something new. And uh, so sure. the two of them are, you know, very much involved. And then the broader team, we have Luke Pope, who's you know over, you know, all of finance for them, and James Hefner on the legal side, and and Toby Martin on the uh, on the broader green street operation side and then you know chapters living we just hired um, several of our initial team members given our initial portfolio that we'll be closing on here over the next 90 days which will wow. be about 500 units amongst seven communities and four different states so extremely excited we hired uh becky kaufman as our svp of quality of life and memory support known becky for quite a while nurse by background but really that holistic view of, uh, quality of life and the life enrichment component. And then, you know, we will be known in our communities for strong memory support and she'll be leading that charge. And then we hired somebody new to the industry that has a great finance background on Tyler Brady. Okay. He's got a a great background in public accounting through ENY and, uh, and he is diving right in and, uh, learning the industry quickly and building out our ERP platform. So and we've yeah. got some other resources that, and some other leaders that we've also recently hired to initially launch.
0: Yeah. Well, welcome to... Uh, it was He said his name is Tyler. Welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, unbelievable. So a lot to talk about
0: there. We, I was just going to ask you the goal um, when we reported on this back in September was you said 400 units and now you said you're going to close on... Is it one portfolio or is it... You kind of clump this together yeah. and it's going to be 500 units, huh?
1: Exactly. So three separate transactions okay. and portfolios. And then the culmination of that is a little over five hundred units.
0: Wow, that's uh, so that's a little bit uh, overachievy compared to what we had reported back in the day.
1: Yeah, a little bit. So we really believe this is an opportune time to um, work on finding those more portfolio opportunities to bring into the mix. While you know these various communities have you know they all have different stories, the organizations that are selling. All have unique needs, and I'll tell you, we've probably assessed 50-plus opportunities, particularly in the Midwest, and we've landed on these initial ones. Followed a very rigorous process and really like the story of each of them, and we'll be excited to talk about them in more detail when we can, once the ink's dry on all the various deals. But, uh, but we're extremely excited and, and believe in each of these uh, communities for our initial launch.
0: Yeah, so you're making your first big move here, uh, or a series of moves, I suppose. And you, you said it's going to be sometime in the next next couple of months. So, uh, how close are we, and and are you ready to to make this happen? It seems like it's going to be because when you launch yeah, a company, it's all fun and games until there's stuff going on.
1: That's right. So yeah, we're uh, we're working through from a legal perspective the various changes of, of ownership applications and in some regards some operational transfer agreements and uh, so once we you know complete uh, those steps we'll be ready to more publicly announce you know these communities in particular and sure uh, and where they're at so yeah I,
0: I guess we wanted to know I mean you mentioned it uh, in the open that you, you kind of leaning toward memory care and assisted living at the beginning but you also mentioned uh, in September and now that active adult is on your mind as well and then, yes. of course that's the entire care continuum so well, what can you tell me about the the strategy there? And starting with higher acuity makes sense, of course, because it's a needs-based situation, but sure. active adult is, is also hot. So so what's your thinking when it comes to asset class there?
1: Yeah, so we have an active development that we are working through in St. Louis. Uh, it will be our first active adult launch, assuming all continues to go well. We really believe that when we look at active adult as a broad definition. Our definition is that it's a golf cart away from life. We believe that our model of active adult will be highly focused on the amenities surrounding it and ideally co-located with other development or redevelopment so that our residents can fully utilize the amenities around them that they otherwise would not have at their personal residence. We're also looking at the affordability factor of it and you know when we are able to combine the experience in the multifamily and hospitality development experience that Green Street has as a development company and we blend the more independent living and senior living background of what Chapters can bring uh, on how to operate these that's that's not traditional independent living but also is is not multifamily we believe we've got a pretty unique combination there that we can be a leader, particularly in the Midwest, as it relates to active adult development. So we're starting our first one, and we're working through the the details, the design, the performance, you name it, and we're getting that model right, as right as we can, uh, with it being our first one. But we really like the prospectus, and in particular, we, we like the challenge that it solves for this population in particular. Yeah.
0: Obviously, I mean, that's one of the most interesting things I find about the industry is just how genuinely motivated people are to provide a place to live and, and kind of place to, to, to be both vulnerable and alive, but also to be safe and secure and kind of supported. Right. It's kind of it's a really nice balance of, of business and, and healthcare. So you've been ruminating on this, you launch on your own, and now you, you, you hit the button. In the summertime and in the fall, and now you're here and things are you're gonna put some ink to some paper. So what has been the challenge? Is there any anything in the last couple of months that maybe was unexpectedly either easy or hard or or different from what you, you've imagined for years yeah. um thinking of
1: leading up to this? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean when we started Chapters Living, I mean look at the, the interest rate environment and what's happened from August to current or to present. So that's certainly been a challenge and we've we have some initial phenomenal capital partners for these first three portfolios that uh, we were able to work through and, and make sure that uh, everybody feels good about the opportunity that we have. So I think that was certainly a, a challenge in August that we couldn't really predict. I think the other challenge that we've seen is staying true to how we assess the opportunities for acquisition. It's very easy right now to see a t- there's a there's a lot of opportunities for for acquisitions in our space right now. And it'd be really easy for us to say to you, hey, we've got an initial launch of a thousand units. So I think staying true to how we assess the opportunities and all the way through the market testing, market research and the underwriting model, and then ultimately the finance model, just making sure that we're staying true has been a challenge to Make sure that we we are focused on the right areas of opportunity. Yeah, so that's interesting. So
0: the cha- the challenge is, I guess, you don't know what you don't know, which of course sounds like right. one of the most annoying cliches of all time until it happens to you and you think, Uh-oh, I, uh oh, I I got to learn this for next time. So I, I, I imagine that the next time you're in acquisition mode, which I guess is perpetually for the most part, that's right. Um, you learn and and move forward. So what's the ultimate size that you you see yourself in five years here?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that question, and I've I've gotten that quite a bit. You know, we don't have an artificial target of a size. And that's just being real honest. What we want to do is make sure that we find the right opportunities where we believe that the chapters brand and our focus areas, particularly on how we invest in our associates, you know, associate first organization. We will continue to pressure test where that's working and then how we grow that appropriately. If that leads us, to only 10 communities, and we um, operate extremely well and, you know, have the brand strength and trust of those local consumers in the markets, great. If that leads to us having 50, wonderful. It's really us sticking true to making sure that we are growing appropriately and and continuing to assess the right opportunities to ultimately acquire. So not a direct answer to your question, but... (laughs) But that's a genuine answer. I mean, we've, like I said earlier, we've certainly had opportunities to to certainly ex- have way more than 500 out of the gate. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so th- that's interesting too, because it seems like the industry prior to COVID, it's almost like a, a BCAD situation for, for the industry because of how hard it was hit with PR concerns. And of course, the most sure. vulnerable population and then the money part. I mean, it's hard to be in business when the most vulnerable population needs to be taken care of and you can't be there. So in the wake yep. of that and inflation and all the economics Development has been incredibly difficult and specifically difficult in certain markets, so people are really looking to uh, to acquire and i'm I imagine that's part of the trend that you wanted to jump on and and how you saw this as kind of an advantageous moment for an right. acquisitions based company.
1: I'll tell you if we would have started chapters purely for the money, we wouldn't have five hundred units. All of these opportunities as we work with the capital partners, lenders investors and others are because they believe in the mission and what we're trying to solve. And it's hard right now, you know, to really make sure that the finance part of this all works. So, right. yes, there's certainly a value add opportunity with what we're doing, but I'll tell you if we were just focused on hey, purchase this, you know, the average price per unit is x and we think in 3 years it's worth y. And if that's our strategy at its core, then we we would be struggling. Mm-hmm. What we've really focused on is, yes, we have those economics in place and we are hyper-focused on explaining exactly operationally what we're going to do to turn, whether it's a turnaround or it's a, a, a restabilization effort, whatever it may be, that we're talking about You know how we're investing in our associates, how we're investing in the programmatic pieces of how we're going to care for our residents and obviously with a, a very big focus on memory support. So that's really what has allowed us to have what I think will, is a very high quality and great markets for our initial portfolio. And and yes, the economics take care of it, but leading with the problem that we're solving has been very helpful for those that we're depending on for, for capital and lenders and others.
0: So... Regionality and, and being kind of local or regional as an as an operating company it's a bit of a trend that we've noticed and it seems that you can have a greater greater handle on the things that you're operating if you can kind of drive there in a day and there's yes yeah, because the parts pockets of the country are different now, you're in a really strange pocket of the country and one of the yeah. cities I'm kind of fascinated with because when you're in St. Louis, maybe you're really in Illinois, the way that if you're in Philly, maybe you're really in <laughs> Jersey or Chicago, you're in Indiana. So right. what, what what's the yeah. vision for the regionality of this? And then tell me a little bit about the challenges and, and benefits of St. Louis area as a whole. Love that. We
1: think the Midwest in total is on the cusp of significant development and growth compared to the coast. I'm reading a book right now called The Rise of the West, hmm. incredible research and, and talks about startups and where, you know, money is is being invested in startups. And the Midwest is certainly a growing market. St. Louis is great because it's so central and it is easy for us to get to Kansas City, to Chicago, to southwest Missouri, north northwest Arkansas, easy flight to Texas. Uh, Even an easy flight to Colorado, which isn't the Midwest, but it's easy for us to get to those types of strong markets with a pretty simple plane ride or drive. Mm -hmm. One thing that we are, and this is true for our initial acquisitions for the most part, six of the seven anyway, we do look for going into a market with at least two communities. One thing in COVID that we benefited from when I was at Ascension Living was having uh, communities close by so that when staffing and other challenges presented themselves, we could organize our resources to get to those communities faster. And that's something that I've certainly taken with us as we've started chapters and we've looked at opportunities is we really want to enter the market with at least two. Hmm. And that's played out. So, and the one right now where we will that we will have that's that's a standalone right now, we already have some potential acquisitions on the back end that will complement that market, so we'll we'll definitely have at least two per market that we're entering into
0: yeah that's an interesting. just just like having a a big or little brother there to kind of support in case anything goes wrong, and then you can kind of share right. resources and executive directors can help each other and whatnot. Are you going to have an executive director for each community, or will there be kind of one regional person yeah. over in a market, or how's that going to work?
1: Yeah, so one one thing that I'm really passionate about is the role of the executive director. Um, we will have one in each community. Our titles for executive directors are our chief experience officers uh, and our CEOs. And, you know, our industry at large, for a lot of various reasons, have ended up kind of having executive directors as kind of in the middle of community and corporate. And, you know, our philosophy is a very flat organization that maximizes their gifts and talents to really drive the experience for existing associates and new associates coming in, that they have a phenomenal and unique experience with chapters compared to their previous employer? Or if they're entering the industry new, how do we make sure that we launch that as best as we can and customize each experience for them? And then for our revenue generation, you know, how do we continue to invest in the right activities and quality of, of life programs for our residents to extend their length of stay and to also distinguish ourselves when families tour against other communities. So we we are investing heavily in our CEOs to really drive the culture and the performance for chapters living. I am a huge believer in you know centralized back office stuff, but decentralized decision making, and uh, okay. we're we we will be living that out with you know how we're providing support to our CEOs, but also in the trust that we're giving them. To drive their local community's performance on on all aspects.
0: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, I want to get your thoughts on the industry as a whole, but before we do that, I think maybe we'll take a little side trip and learn a little bit about you. If you pull up your LinkedIn, you went to yeah. not one but two colleges that I've never heard of. So let's hear a little bit about your <laughs> education and uh, where you're from yeah. and, and how you started down this path.
1: Yeah. So uh, born and raised in St. Louis. For those that are listening that are from St. Louis, I went to Rittner High School. You have oh, to no. ask that question if you're a St. Louisan. I went to William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri, which is North Kansas City. What brought me there was uh, playing basketball. So I played basketball my first year, was done after that. Uh, college basketball uh, was a great experience, but, uh, but very challenging. And mm-hmm. I was ready to, to do something else with my, uh, my spare time. I still love playing. And then my senior year of college, so I did a, a business and psychology degree definitely had different plans other than senior living i wanted to save up additional money to buy an engagement ring nice. and this was in 2007 which you know the job market in 2007 wasn't great yeah. definitely what what it wasn't what it is right now i got a job from 4 to midnight monday through thursday at a 16 unit residential male behavioral health house And I was the, I was their guy from four to four to midnight, Monday through Thursday from passing medications, cooking food, cleaning the rooms and the house. And it was mostly elderly gentlemen. And I just, it just never felt like work to me. I mean, I would, I would do it tomorrow if I could. That's what really, that's, I I got very lucky that I found my passion at such a a young age and and also I was able to buy a engagement ring. Congratulations. Uh, and my wife and I were we've been married for 15 years as of January. So that's what kind of launched me. I got my master's right after college at Lindenwood University. And I wasn't always planning on getting my masters, but I had to because in Missouri at the time you had to be at least twenty five to get your administrator's license unless you had a master's degree and mm. so many hours in an AIT program. So I have my AIT program with underway, and then I got my master's, and then I was able to get my administrator's license. So I was, you know, my first administrator job was in 2009, and then I went to Alexium Brothers. Uh, after that, thought I wanted to be a hospital administrator. Alexium Brothers had hospitals in uh, in Chicagoland, and yeah. uh, they had two skilled nursing facilities here in St. Louis. So got to operate one of their skilled nursing facilities and the people that we had there from an associate perspective really changed my mind to just take hospital administration off of a potential roadmap for me. I mm. just fell in love with supporting them and and their life journeys and all that then correlated to really solid resident care. And and I kind of t- kept that with me in my career as we really focused on our associates. So that's uh and then we were purchased by Ascension, you know, and and then mm-hmm. from that journey on I had great opportunities within Ascension Living in particular and was always a goal when we were acquired that I became that division's president. And uh to go from, you know, nursing home administrator to the president of a pretty large organization, you know, within a 8-year stretch was an incredible journey, tons of great relationships and support and belief in me as a leader and uh so that's uh, a lot of the background that I have over this sure. past decade. Yeah.
0: So it's it's interesting. A couple of, of thoughts. First is that if you're your 15th anniversary, off the top of my head, is that like, it's like a jewel, like the crystal anniversary, which I didn't know that that so, existed until I got
1: yeah. married. And then there's like a whole list of things every year. Yeah. Oh, man. So <laughs> if if you've ever read like the seven love languages. So, I heard it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my wife's, one of her top two, one of them is is gifts. One of my weaknesses is gifts. Oh, no. uh-uh. <laughs> so uh-uh. it's always a struggle for me, man. Like I've got to figure out, you know, what I'm going to do. One of, uh, one of my first mentors in senior living, uh, Stacy, um, when I first got married for our one year anniversary, she had to really coach me through what, you do? know, what do I buy? Is it a jewel? I still remember her giving me trouble and yeah, uh, I I honestly was uh, was was looking at like Walgreens, and she's like, "You're no. you're out of your mind." <laughs> so so that's not my that's not my strength. But oh, fifteen man. years, I did do some homework on that, and 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 did get an anniversary band for.
0: Her, oh so. wow, yeah, well, congratulations! It's yeah. it's uh that's uh, that's quite a journey, I'm, I'm sure as well. And how fortunate yeah. for you to not only know a person that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with, but also pretty quickly kind of figure out a niche area to work in. Most people kind of. Wander, or they like maybe you you, you learn yes. business or or whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go do business. Well, what does that mean? You don't you learn about industries that you didn't know existed and like different niches. So right. pretty fortunate situation. You said you had a great mentor. I, I imagine those first, like you mentioned, first five to ten years were really formative, and then you find yourself, you know what? I, I think I'm just gonna keep
1: climbing the ladder and do this. I want to be in this for a while. There's a handful in particular that I still keep in touch with and can just talk differently with mm-hmm. around just challenges that that I'm having or what they're doing on certain situations and just having that solid set of people that I can go to and look up to is just so valuable. And if you're a young leader listening and, you know, looking for additional ways to grow, definitely lean on your mentors. And Mm -hmm. what I've learned in in my own way, I've become a mentor to a couple other people and it's just as enjoyable helping others uh, and paying it forward. And, very fortunate and, and especially at Ascension Living had phenomenal leaders and CEOs and others that I got to learn a lot from along the way as well.
0: So uh, let's talk about the industry now. Speaking of having mentors and people to lean on, something like COVID happens, which is kind of a once ever situation, but it's, it shows that right. the industry can kind of come together to combat media narratives and also like figure out what yep. the hell is going on. You also learn in, in periods of crisis that there's opportunity for revolution. For example, Things like Zoom and how to do things on your phone and Netflix and all of that that kind of helped us get through that. So I I wanted to ask how you see technology playing a role now. Because if you were at Ascension for a while, there's no chance that it was this way five years ago. Not only has tech gotten better, but the the residents and staff and everybody understands how it works better. So how do you see
1: it right now? Uh, So both Becky and Tyler in particular, I believe have spent each at least... 20 to 24 hours of seeing various technology platforms from the finance and rev cycle and the ERP side, all the way through to the EMR medication uh, record, the family engagement portals, staffing portals, and then our HR within different payroll systems, you name it. So I think we've got a pretty fresh and exhaustive view of Technology. And here's what we Mm -hmm. prioritized first. We said, How do we want our associates to experience technology? And what do we want it to solve for them? And we started from that lens and we said, Hey, we want a simple platform that ensures that it allows them to focus on revenue and associate engagement and retention. So we viewed um, our hiring platform. Our ERP platform from that lens. So how do we do single entry ordering and all the way through the payable side? Then how does that then seamlessly go into the financial statements? Or how do we input a name one time and it carries through the whole system on the sales side to the nursing side? So we identified the simple problems we wanted to solve and then we assessed them all through that lens. And the technology options in senior living are vast we probably could have doubled our time in seeing different platforms but we had some good contacts in the industry that you know that we trust that said hey look at this one look at this one and and we were able to really spend some adequate time with several of them so you know as we look at what can technology do i think ensuring that you understand what you're trying to solve for is paramount
0: okay so talk about technology talk about covid-19 and and kind of how everything had to pivot I want to get your impressions on the things that came as a result of COVID nineteen, right. or kind of aftermath. That includes like inflation, supply chain stuff, the real estate market, the labor market. So, how was twenty twenty two from from your view, and and where do you see the industry with regard to the macroeconomic so
1: situation right now? Definitely some continued hangover from the pandemic, and we're all continuing to try to work through. You know, what is the normalized view? and operational challenges that are just here to stay so don't think there's a perfect answer to that it's a it's an uh, we're still learning from that i think at large people have figured out how to rise above it and and continue to to drive their their occupancy in the right direction i mean you look at the quarter over quarter you know macroeconomics of occupancy in our industry everybody's starting to see certainly a a nice rise, particularly in assisted living and memory care. You know, the macroeconomics are really challenging, obviously, to navigate just from your pure cost per day. And there's a lot of variability. There's a lot of, you know, how do you predict in in three months from now where food pricing is going to be? So how do you make sure that we've got, you know, enough planning and contingency planning, if you will, to kind of ride those waves. And that's something that we've thought a lot about as we've underwritten and, and projected certain, you know, all these acquisitions is how do we make sure that we, we allow for some, for plenty of, of, of unknowns uh, that could occur. I mean, high level macroeconomics, you know, certainly the expense side is is everybody's trying to continue to figure that out and, and see what the new norm is. And I think the, the positive side, uh, is certainly around families and consumers and residents starting to certainly trust us and, and we're seeing the, the 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 movement certainly tick up across the country.
0: Yeah, so uh occupancy seems to be on the on the rise and of course it's it's uh, something that we've noted that part of the occupancy rise is a lot to do with there was a lot of occupancy lost. At a certain point we got to figure out where yeah. we are in terms of what's new and not what's what's recovered. So where, where do you think sure. the, the industry and the country are? I mean, I did, I know that you're not a uh, macroeconomist in in some think tank, but I just want to get you take your pulse here.
1: Yeah. So maybe not a direct answer, but I'll tell you how we look at sure. markets and how we we rate the strength of them. Several gating factors in no particular order. We are looking at where are we seeing growth in adult children influencers? You know, what pocket markets in particular are they growing in? So that's a huge factor for us. We look at broader income. One thing that we have focused more on than not, though, is what's the occupancy immediately around the community that we're looking to acquire? We want to see strong occupancy. We want to see that the broader market is starting to you know, utilize our services again, everywhere that we're going, we're seeing some pretty strong occupancies. We're also looking at and doing a lot of homework around, hey, is there any new construction starting or permits pulled, CONs filed, anything that's been a good 10 to 15 minute drive time of our community that we're, we're assessing and and or acquiring. And when we look at that, and we you know see at large that we're not seeing a whole lot of new construction starts i think that's part of the the rise that we're seeing in kind of same store occupancy is that we've we've gone through a period of time with not a lot of new inventory coming on I believe i read in nick that it's the lowest levels i believe since 2013 we certainly see that across our geography that we're going into as it relates to new construction so i think part of the occupancy recovery trends that we're seeing is also a result of finally some absorption occurring in the existing inventory as opposed to so many new fills per quarter
0: yeah so do you think that that kind of stat is an accurate representation of how like a, a region or a market could be doing like how many how many how many people are moving in or is it you know like do you want to have people live there for a long time or is there a move-in stat
1: like how do you how do you judge the data on that so uh so part of uh, So, the other part that we do when we're really considering and and trying to make sure that this is the right community to acquire, we work with groups that go in and they secret shop the market and they look at everything from, from rates to occupancy to unit, you know, per unit rates and occupancy by unit type, pricing modules, is it levels of care, all inclusive, you name it. We spend a lot of time there. I mean, so again, not a direct answer to your question because every market's just a little bit different. Um, but, but I think as we see strong occupancy and, and rate opportunity, uh, that's what we get excited about and, and as well as low, low new inventory coming online. When we see that combination, we, we get pretty excited. And, and, a, and a lot of our opportunities that we're coming into do require a level of capital reinvestment as well. So it's a really good opportunity to kind of come in at a, perhaps at a lower basis than what our competitors enter the market in from a price per unit perspective. Not that we're going to be top of the market price wise, but we can certainly, as long as the market's trending favorably, we can certainly have a pretty good projection around the rebranding initiatives and the reinvestment and, you know, accurately Uh, project what growth looks like from from an occupancy view.
0: Sure. So let's talk about rates. I mean, obviously, market to market is a little different, but do you have any rates in in mind that you can report?
1: I'll give you our rate philosophy. I have probably... So part of our market diligence, I've also participated in looking at the top two competitors per community. And there's a lot of different views and, and how people are putting their rate structures in place. I mean, we definitely see... Definitely the level of care, you know, levels one to three is common. One to five is becoming more common from what I've seen in the markets that we're looking at. Also seeing a lot of additional fees beyond medication and incontinence. I've seen wheelchair, or sorry, electric wheelchair fees. I've seen a whole plethora of fees. We think that, I can tell you our strategy is to have two levels. And within that, it's all inclusive and within that as well if you are self performing certain tasks such as your own medication administration and others well then we are factoring in how do we give a credit for that to the back to the family to the resident so we're kind of flipping it a little bit to say hey here's our all in deal we want this to be easy for you we want to make billing easy we, we want to make everything very seamless for the resident or the family member that's you know managing the financials for our our residents and trying to incentivize that partnership and that transparency uh, we will be posting our rates on our websites um, so a little different okay. approach too I mean if you talk to the average person um, within your family networks and others, it's probably pretty tough for them to figure out what does it really cost to be an assisted living and memory care. I think that's a challenge, yeah. and you know we look at distrust distrust as a whole coming out of covid i mean what an opportunity for us to to continue to educate the, the marketplace about what we do, the solutions that we offer. We do great things in our industry. And I think more and more consumers and families need to experience senior living for their loved ones versus keeping them isolated at home. This is just our way of saying, let's educate, let's partner with families, let's partner with the broader market, and we're going to be highly transparent in all that we do, particularly our pricing. So it's a little bit of a risk. you know. A lot of the models right now are based on, hey, yeah. we don't want you to See our price because we want you to call and call the salesperson. Right, we're just taking a different approach.
0: It's really interesting. Sam, so I've only been in the industry now eighteen months or so. This is my first job. I'm, my medical background or my background in journalism is in medicine, news for doctors and nurses, and kind of high level clinical stuff. So I'm, I'm I made the switch over here, and there's some things that I find really interesting about how you market to people. And this whole debate about putting the rates on a website or not putting the rates on a website. All I can do is speak from my experience as a millennial, and if I can sense that a website is marketing to me, I immediately am like, mm, yeah, no. But if a website treats me as I'm looking for information and they just dump it all and, it's, and just let me go through it, I feel a lot more like, oh, okay, I, I found it. I want to know the facts. Like, where are you located? What's your phone right. number? How much does it cost? That to me is, that transparency on the internet is so, maybe it's a generational divide but when I can sense that I'm being marketed to I am my defenses are
1: way up. We feel the same we have we are putting a pretty we're spending a lot of time right now on our digital presence. certainly you know our not only our our more national industry facing website that'll launch here shortly when we bring on these seven communities, but specifically we're focusing a lot on the individual community sites. We want to, you know, we're, we're investing in the tech that makes sure that when you're looking for a solution that our community page specifically comes up that highlights the features and the, the transparency around what we do, what it costs, why us versus others. We're being very text light, video, uh, not... Not the best comparison. It's uh, if you think about as you know, as we scroll on our phones and we're watching TikTok or something like that. It's more of that kind of a of a scroll and an experience to find information, and 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 then eventually we've we've said, hey, look, our our website is our initial experience for our customer, whoever that may be. So how do we make sure that it's seamless, easy, everything from our FAQs, very different questions that we're answering on our FAQs in particular you know we know that a lot of families feel guilty when they're looking for a loved one and how do we focus there how do we focus on our transparency how we partner with them and the information that they have at their disposal to help us how we can help them work through this process sure. i think us showing our pricing is is an initial opportunity to build trust out of the gate.
0: Yeah. That's, and that's, that's the thing I think is if you're on the website, you're already like, I'm here for information. Like I could probably look other places for, to, to understand, like, I know you want me to live there and I know I'll call you when I'm ready, but just tell me what's up, man. That's, that's, that has nothing to do with senior housing. That's, I would feel the same way if I were shopping for a car or looking for a a concert ticket. Like, tell me what's going on.
1: Yeah. So our, our agency that we work with out of St. Louis, incredible partner of ours. We looked at a lot of different industries around the experience that we wanted people to have from a digital perspective. So we did not model ours at all after traditional senior living. We modeled it kind of a broader hospitality view, less text, more engagement and experience. So it's been a marketing and and digital strategy is not my forte, but I have certainly learned a lot. And I've learned so much about how complicated the digital marketing world is right now, especially with COVID and and people really investing across industry and investing in their tech platforms and how they reach a global consumer. And senior living uh and healthcare overall is evolving in that technology. And uh, you know, for, for chapters, you know, we will eventually have a sales support leader. But on the marketing side, we're going to trust you know, in a, a particular agency to do that work on our behalf, just given how fast that, that world is moving.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I call a plumber when I need plumbing done. That's, that's kind of how I look at things. But I'm not a businessman, so I don't, yeah. I don't I really know how people run their stuff. Okay, so yeah. uh, it's been a great conversation. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, I'm a huge chess person. I watch chess streams. I've got yeah. one in the background on now. And St. Louis, for people that don't know, is the capital of chess in the That's Western right. Hemisphere? You think of like Manhattan or somewhere else? Nope, it's St. Louis. And that nope. people don't know a lot
1: about what's going on in St. Louis. Isn't that the weirdest thing? It, in uh, the Central West End, we've got the the Hall of Fame. You know, I've actually been to an event uh, here in the past, I think, eighteen months, where fundraising focused around chess and and providing mm-hmm. uh, you know providing resources to kids and some of our school systems that want to play chess, and they brought in like the top 5 chess players in the world and we got oh, to watch them we got to watch them play yeah. i mean it was amazing how fast they moved and how they were thinking on move one, you could tell that they've already thought about move 10 plus, right? So right, yeah, uh, lots to learn and see your living from chess, right?
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, do you, do you don't want to look too far down the road, but you also don't want to get caught dazing off. Either. That's right. You want, to, you want to be safe, focused and, and all that. So Danny, thank you so much for, for joining us. Of course, we're going to link to a bunch of coverage of you and maybe your LinkedIn profile in the transcript that will be available. And we'd love to have you on in the future, but thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Enjoyed it a ton and, and look forward to future conversations. Uh,
0: I will right, we'll see you around.
1: Alright.